Let's bow together. Father, we do look forward to that day where we will be with you forever and ever because of Christ. And we thank you that we walk by faith now, but ultimately we will be in your presence. And we look forward to that by faith. And Lord, I thank you that we can know more and more about what you've planned for us, your will for us, your desires, and who you are uh, through what you've revealed in your word. I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity we have this morning to look into your word, and I pray you would work in our hearts uh, that which is pleasing. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, many people would say that they have accepted Jesus. Uh, I think that the uh, stats these days in the United States, somewhere around 73% of Americans say that they're Christians. Now, sadly, many people claim to be Christians, but appear to live lives, we don't know the heart, but appear to live lives that are contradictory to the reality of faith in Jesus Christ. And now, yet, God's word reveals what true believers actually look like. So today, we're going to see what does genuine faith in Christ look like. And I believe we're going to have, uh, within that, we're going to see that truly changed lives are clearly visible. And it will be an encouragement for those of you who are truly saved. And it may be a challenge for those of you who may be uh, in sin. And it may be an uh, open door for those of you who don't know Christ to come to faith in Jesus Christ. So we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. So turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And we're back to our study of the book of 1 Thessalonians. And as you're turning there, I want to remind you of the context of this wonderful book. Uh, Verse 1 of the chapter 1 reveals that Paul with Silas and Timothy are writing to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is writing to believers in Thessalonica. Now, from the scriptures, we can gain much about the context of this letter. We see in Acts chapter 16 that Silas, Timothy, and Luke were with the Apostle Paul on what we call his second missionary journey, and that was around 49 AD. And having come from the east, they were kept by God from going south to Asia, as Luke would write in Acts 16.6, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And then they were kept from going north to Turkey, as Luke would share again in verse 7 of Acts 16. They were trying to go to Bithynia, and the Spirit of God did not permit them. And then God sovereignly led them west, and passing through Mysia, they came down to Troas. And while they were waiting, Paul received his marching orders in a vision in Acts chapter 16, verses 9 through 10. They were to go to Macedonia... They were to go and preach the gospel, and in obedience they crossed the Aegean Sea and went on to Philippi and preached the word of God. And it's also in Acts chapter 16 that we see uh, the conversion of Lydia and some women at the riverside in her household, and then the Philippian jailer in his household, and we have the exciting formation of the Philippian church. And then after Paul being treated, mistreated shamefully, treated shamefully by the Philippian magistrates, he is released and begged to leave Philippi. So he and his companions then journeyed some 50 miles west to Thessalonica. And it's there that he remained three weeks at least until the Jews of the city became so enraged at the teaching of Jesus uh, that uh, about Jesus that they created a riot. And then he fled to Berea and Athens and then to Corinth. 
Now we see in 1 Thessalonians 2 and 3 that having been away from the Thessalonians for a short time, probably less than a year, in Athens, Paul sent Timothy back to Thessalonica to strengthen and encourage them as to their faith because they were going through afflictions. And then Paul went on to Corinth. And in Corinth, Paul received Timothy and his report. And this letter is his response to the Thessalonians about Timothy's report. So now he's writing this sometime within his 16-month or 18-month stay in Corinth, sometime in, in 50 to 51 A.D., and most likely probably the spring of 50 A.D. And it's important to note as we study the book of 1 Thessalonians that this was a young church, less than a year old in the faith. And the Apostle Paul shared solid truth with them and expected them to understand, to be able to understand and to know these truths. So with that in mind, again, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 10. Now within that, uh, we're going to briefly look at 9 and 10. We won't have enough time to get to that fully today, so be aware of that, and we'll look at that more in depth next week, but we will touch it today. With that in mind, let's read our passage. And I'm going to go back to verse 2 and read up through our passage. So we have here, verse 2, We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren beloved by God, his choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you, for your sakes. And we have here um, our passage here. Verse 6. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place Your faith towards God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Tremendous passage, and today we're going to see uh, two things. We're going to see that these uh, believers in Jesus uh, are, were imitating true believers because they were saved, and that they were examples to other believers of what true salvation was. Now, last time we saw the response of the gospel as Paul and his companions shared that in verses 2 through 5. We saw that portion which Paul was describing from his point of view, the response that they saw and what they heard. And let's just review that briefly. And we get insight into the reality that true believers uh, have been fully convicted by the Spirit of God through the gospel. And they then have real faith and love and hope in Jesus Christ. Again, verse 2, and this is just to review this portion briefly to go into our passage. We give thanks to God always for all of you. He's so thankful. He says, making mention of you in our prayers, 
constantly bearing in mind, he's going to say three things, your work of faith, your labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father. Knowing, he knows something, beloved brethren, by God, his choice of you. He knows they were saved. He knows they were truly his. Because he explains in verse 5, For our gospel did not come to you in word only. It just wasn't empty words. We see it, that it came in power, but it came in power in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, full conviction. They had responded to the truth of God. Just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. The Apostle Paul was so thankful for these genuinely changed lives in Christ. And if you're a true believer and someone comes to faith in Christ and you can see it, it causes you to be thankful. So with that in mind, we come to our passage today where we move from the Apostle Paul's observations to what people are telling Paul, Silas, and Timothy about these Thessalonians. And we're going to see the response of the gospel of these Thessalonians that everyone else heard and saw because they became imitators of the Lord and the Apostle Paul and his companions and examples to all the believers in the region. So our passage, verse 6, You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Here we see the Thessalonians became imitators of the Lord and of real believers, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. In how they received the word, they mimicked, they became a followers in a sense of how true believers had received the Lord and how the Lord had received the word ultimately in the context of tribulation, as we will see. Now our passage, you also became imitators of us and the Lord. You may have a new King James that starts out with the term and. And that's really in the Greek here. You could say and you became, or you could say also you became like the NASB. So he's connecting what he has just shared here. Remember, the Apostle Paul has been sharing reasons why he knows these Thessalonians were chosen by God. And he says in this passage, and in, 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 in con, in, with, along with the gospel coming to them with power and full conviction and how, how they, 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 they understood the example of Paul and these Thessalonian believers, he says, you also became imitators of us. And of the Lord. And now in the Greek, it's really actually emphatic here. You became imitators of us and the Lord. This Greek word that's translated imitators, mimetes, speaks of one who follows another's example. It's where we get our word to mimic, to mimic. Paul says, You also became imitators of us and the Lord. But, but what does he mean by that? How did these, these Thessalonian believers? Followed the example of Paul, Silas, and Timothy and the Lord. Well, these Thessalonians believed the gospel message and were saved, certainly. They were, they were new converts who naturally became like those who led them to Christ. Naturally became like them. You, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. But yet, how did they become mimics or how did they become followers of the Apostle Paul, Silas, and Timothy and the Lord? Notice the passage continues. Having received the word in much tribulation. 
Now, there are different words in Greek to, that are translated received, and some of them speak of an outward reception, and some of them speak of an inward acceptance or a welcome. And that's what this word is, this Greek word dekamite, speaks of accepting. It speaks, it can be translated of someone showing hospitality, letting someone come into their house, receiving them. One pastor writes, having received means to accept deliberately, readily, and kindly. The picture is of one putting out the welcome mat for God's word of truth, just as one would do so for a good friend or family as they invite them into their house. These Thessalonians voluntarily accepted or welcomed the gospel, and thus Paul and his companions, that gospel that they had brought. The word of God concerning their sin and the Savior, Jesus Christ. They received the word of God, not as the word of men, but as the word of God. Look a little farther down, and Will read this for us earlier. Chapter 2, verse 13. You see, a lot of people don't receive the gospel. They hear about their sinfulness, and they turn it off. They don't want to hear it. But they received it, and they received the solution, which is Jesus, who died for their sins. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 And for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you receive from us the word of God's message, you, and here's our word, accepted. You accepted it. Not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God which performs its work in you. You accepted it as God's word. We're so thankful to God because when we shared God's word, you accepted it as God's word, not as men's word. And God performed a work in them. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. They received the fully convicting truth of their sin and then the Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for them. And yet apart from the eternal realities, eternal realities of salvation, this reception brought about, it's apart from those glorious realities of salvation, it brought about something else temporally. You see, when you receive the truth of God's message, it brings about temporal difficulty. He says in our passage, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation. The term tribulation, flipsis, speaks of pressure. It was used to speak of pressure of a a great difficulty. It didn't speak of mild discomfort, but great difficulty, extreme difficulty. And look back again in chapter 2, verse 13. We see what happened to them when they came to faith. When they came to faith. Chapter 2, verse 13. And for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you receive from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God which performs its work in you who believe. And then notice he explains, verse 14. For you, brethren, became imitators or mimics of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For, he's going to explain, for you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men. And then look at chapter 3 for a second. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind in Athens alone. We sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. 
so that no man may be disturbed by these flipsis, these afflictions, for you yourselves know, this is only one year in the faith, by the way, and they know already, you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, that's the first three weeks of their salvation. These are faithful preachers of the gospel, by the way. We were kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. The reality is, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, there's instantly a sword. There's division because those who are in the world are in the domain of darkness. And you'll see that sword within your family, within relationships, within different... Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. There's instantly a division, you see, because we're not of this world. And that difficulty comes in the midst of relationships between those who know Christ and those who don't. And these uh, Thessalonians suffered at the hands of their countrymen when they came to faith. And they became mimics of Paul and the apostles, or of Paul and his, and his companions, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when you obey the word of God, you're going to suffer temporarily. What did the Lord Jesus do? He obeyed to the point of death, death on a cross. They became mimics of the Lord Jesus and of Paul and the apostles. In that, they suffered for obeying the truth of God in a real relationship. This tribulation came upon them. And we see that we're destined for this. Philippians chapter 1. Turn to Philippians 1. Now, we don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear this. You don't want to come to Jesus and have flipsis. That's not a very good bumper sticker, right? The reality is there is difficulty, but it's temporal in light of what God has done in Christ. But there is difficulty. And Paul told them in the first three weeks of their salvation, this is going to happen. And they received the word in the midst of much tribulation and affliction and maybe some of you have come to faith and you now have tribulation and affliction within your family at work whatever it might be not for being a jerky jerk person but for actually trusting christ and doing the right thing philippians chapter 1 verse 28 in no way alarmed by your opponents which is a sign of destruction for them but salvation for you and that too is from god For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same sufferings or the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. The Lord Jesus himself, we see uh, that we follow in his footsteps in suffering. 1 Peter 2.21, for you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his steps. Now, the example was he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. And he brought about God's perfect will, which was to bring our redemption. And God uses suffering for us for open doors for the gospel and the difficulties that he has around us and also to grow us. But sadly, the evangelical church many, many in many places has been deceived into believing that the gospel it has to be packaged in an acceptable way for the unchurched. From this worldly and demonic perspective, a false, unconvicting or ineffective gospel which caters to the world's hunger for solutions to their temporal problems has been devised. One pastor writes, The church lacks clear teaching regarding true and false conversion. Many Christians haven't even heard of such a thing. 
false pastors, false teachers, even false believers. Yet Jesus spoke of it all the time. Terrors among the weak, good trees among the bad, seeds falling on stony ground, the sheep and the goats. The reality is the true gospel will bring temporal difficulties, but eternal glory. There's the sufferings for the glories to follow. Jesus said you need to count the cost. There's a cost to following Jesus. And if you're unwilling to do it, you will pay the price when you die. But you can live any way you like now. There's a temporal cost for coming to Jesus. And part of that temporal cost is persecution and tribulation. Paul and his companions experienced tribulation for receiving the word and thus obeying it. And so did the Lord in his humanity, receiving the word, trusting and trusting himself to the Father who judges righteously, obeying it to the point of death, even death on a cross. If you come to Jesus, you're going to suffer temporally. Not all the time, but sometime. But uh, because you're no longer of the world. But yet it's an evidence. It's an evidence that you've been changed by Jesus. It's an evidence that you have been saved. And these Thessalonians were truly saved as evidence becoming followers or examples of Paul and his companions in that they received the word in much tribulation. Now we think, oh boy, who wants much tribulation? My flesh doesn't want much tribulation. I hope yours doesn't. Boy, I don't. But yet God reveals through his word it's just temporal. And he's using it for his glory. And when we see his word rightly, we see it rightly, he allows us to see things differently, and we get joy out of that, by the way. Let me share some passages. Acts chapter 14, you can follow along with me. Acts chapter 14, verse 21. You see, when the Spirit of God reveals the truth of God in the midst of the afflictions we're in, it changes our minds. And we have joy in that. Even joy in the midst of temporal persecutions. While you're turning there, I want to read verse 6 again. You became imitators of us and the Lord, having received the word of much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so look at Acts chapter 14, verse 21. This is the young church. They're not 30 years old in the faith. They're just barely babes in the faith, but they were taught the truth. They were taught the truth. Acts chapter 14, verse 21. And after they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. That's an encouragement. If you're going through difficulty for following Jesus, it's an encouragement to know you're on the right path. You see, because we can be disturbed by these afflictions. Paul was concerned for these Thessalonians. That's why he sent Timothy. That Satan might get to them. That they might be disturbed by the difficulties. But he sent to strengthen them as to their faith. Through many tribulations, thipsis, we must enter the kingdom of God. Turn to Romans chapter 5. We see God uses tribulation. And we start to see this rightly. He uses the difficulties in our lives. Now, certainly, First Peter reveals he uses it that he might open doors that we might be able to share why we have hope. And those that are slandering us and treating us terribly might glorify God in the day of visitation. He's using it for good, just like he did with Jesus. 
Jesus' tribulation brought about our salvation, and God uses our tribulation to bring about open doors to share Jesus. Romans chapter 5, verse 3. And not only this, but we exult. That means boast or exult in our what? Tribulations. Wait a second, I don't exult in that at times. We tend to want to complain about them, right? But here we need to be renewed in our hearts and minds. And not only this, but we exult in our tribulations. And that tribulation can be in your marriage, it can be in your family, it can be at your work, it can be in the whatever it might be. At church, he says, knowing something, that tribulation brings about perseverance. That's what we need to endure, right? And perseverance, proven character, and proven character hope. God uses this tribulation to make us like Jesus. And it says here, and hope does not disappoint. Everything else does, right? Hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out uh, in our hearts. And he goes on to say that Christ died for us while we're yet sinners. Tremendous love. Tremendous love. So we start to see this tribulation in a different manner, and it brings a different mindset to us. Look up at Romans chapter 8, and I can read the whole chapter, but Romans chapter 8, verse 16. They became imitators of Paul and of the Lord, suffering for receiving the word and obeying it, and then having joy, having joy. Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. How does he do it? I believe through the word of God. And if children, heirs... And if heirs of God are God's heirs, also also heirs of God are literally God's heirs and fellow heirs with Christ. If something, if something happens, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. For I consider the present sufferings, the sufferings of this present world, a present time, excuse me, are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. You see, you may not have come to faith if you've never truly suffered for doing what's right because you haven't done what's right. Or maybe sin has gotten back in the way, which it does with all of us at times. But they became imitators or mimics. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's all throughout Scripture. It's all throughout Scripture. It's not a message we want to hear in our flesh. But when we allow the Spirit of God to change our minds, it's a joyful message because we understand what's going on. We understand something really, really good is happening. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I'm going to start at verse 15. Now he's going to say all things are for your sake. He's going to talk about his persecution almost unto death, by the way. That's the context. And he says this, 2 Corinthians 4, 15. For all things, and again, that's persecution almost to the point of dying. He's going to say that earlier. For your sakes, that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Wow, persecution is causing God's grace to go forth and people to give thanks. Amen. Wonderful. That's what's happening. Therefore, we do not lose heart. See, we've got to remember this. He says, but oh, our outer man is decaying. We're there, we're suffering physically. Yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction, it's like scales here, momentary light affliction is producing in us the eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. 
We don't lose heart because we know what God is doing and we have not focused on those temporal things but on the eternal things. One last passage. Actually, two, but turn back to Romans chapter 8. And I'd like to share the whole thing here, but uh, you probably know this. If you don't, you can read it later. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Ah, that's our word, isn't it? Or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, just as it is written... For thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Hey, we're on the slaughter block here. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. He's going to say that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. Tremendous reality. Persecution, flipsis, all these things, tribulation. It's not going to separate you from the love of Christ. You know, in Acts chapter 4, after the apostles had been flogged and ordered Peter and had been flogged in order to, to not speak of Jesus anymore, they went on their way in the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. They saw it from an eternal perspective. Temporal perspective, tribulation, no good. Eternal perspective, hey, it's evil, it's not good, but God is going to use it for good. God's using it for good. So then back in our passage in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. You also became, this is, the, this is the marks of a true believer. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word, the context of the gospel, in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Only believers can have joy when circumstances are bad. It's not happiness, it's joy. And it's joy that comes from the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to change our mindset and our thinking that we would think rightly and walk rightly with the Lord. Galatians 5.22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. When I walk by the Spirit, allowing His Spirit by His Word to change my thinking towards my daily difficulties, He gives us joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. That's where it comes from. These Thessalonians received the word they received. When they received the word, they received the Spirit of God. And with the Spirit of God, the ability to know the truths of God and to walk in them and with the Lord. And when that happens, we have joy. We have joy. They're true believers. They suffered, but they had joy. Now, it didn't mean they weren't tempted. We saw later on, chapter 2 and 3, Satan was tempting them. Paul was concerned about their, about their, their difficulties. But they responded with joy in the Holy Spirit. It doesn't make sense to those who don't know Christ, yet only believers experience the the amazing reality of when suffering for Christ, for doing what is right, for coming to Him, for turning from your wickedness to Him. There's joy in the midst of those persecutions and tribulations. And it is a mark of a true believer. It's a mark of a true believer. Have you ever experienced the fellowship of his sufferings? The joy that comes through obedience when you're suffering for doing what is right because you came to faith in Jesus? It makes no sense, but yet it's there. One pastor writes, The depth of a disciple's joy in the Lord will be measured by the degree of his participation in the sufferings of the Lord. It is still true that those who pay a great price in suffering remain 
true to Christ, know the deep measure of spirit-wrought joy in their lives. When we see what God is doing through the suffering he allows, we get joy. Tremendous reality. So they became imitators, mimics, followers in a sense of the pattern of the Lord and of the apostle and his companions. Back to our passage. He says they became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with joy, the joy of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you this, and I'm commanded to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction, by the way. So let me ask you this. Does your life show an evidence of a true relationship with Jesus? And part of that evidence is there will be tribulation for obeying him, for receiving the word. If you've been truly been changed, there's going to be trouble at times. But there's joy. It's an evidence. They became imitators of the Lord and real believers. Have you become an imitator of the Lord and of real believers? Has that happened in your life? So then, they became imitators. They received the word in the midst of tribulation with joy. And notice, they also became examples. Look at our passage. You became imitators, verse 6, of us and the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith towards God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. Remember, Paul has given his observation of their salvation initially. Now he's saying, hey, this is what other people are saying about you guys. This is what they're saying. Notice verse uh, 7 begins with so that, and then the Greek word hosta, it's a, it's a conjunction that speaks of an independent clause that points to a result. Having received the word in the context of tribulation with joy, with the result that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The term example here comes from the Greek word tupos. It's where we get our word type. Tupos literally spoke of an oppression made by a blow, a mark, a pattern. And it came to speak of a pattern to follow. An example, a pattern to follow. Do you remember the Apostle Paul sharing his all-consuming desire to be like Christ? Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3. Actually, turn there. Philippians chapter 3. And we need to be reminded of this because we go right back to the way we used to think before we were saved. When we're not in the Word of God, we do so quickly. So quickly. Philippians 3, verse 13. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. That's a great, that's a great uh, uh, thing to do, by the way. And reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then look down at verse 17. Brethren, join in following my tupas, my example, and observe those who walk according to the pattern. Now, that's the word, that pattern, tupos, you have in us. That pattern is focusing on Christ and, and not focusing on the difficulties, but focusing on Christ and desiring to be obedient, to trust him all the way to glory. 
So back in our passage, the result of the Thessalonians' changed life, the result was of having received the word in much tribulation with joy, was that they became examples. They became examples to, notice this, this is amazing, not to non-believers, by the way. They became examples to believers. What does he say? To all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. You know, we're to let our light shine in the world. No doubt that's the case. But here, they were examples to believers. To believers. All the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Now, Macedonia was the province consisting of what we know in, of northern Greece, included Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. Achaia was the province that consists of what we know as southern Greece, and it included Athens and Corinth. So you say, why is this so amazing? Because this passage reveals that they became examples of a true relationship with Jesus Christ. Genuine believers. Isn't it sad when you wonder if someone's really saved or not? You can't tell. Something's wrong. I mean, you want them to be saved desperately. You want them to know Christ. You want them to follow Christ, but you don't know. You're not a fruit inspector, but you don't know because you care for them. Not so here. The example went out. You could tell. You knew they were. You knew they were. He says, with the result that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And how so? Notice this. Four, middle of verse 7. Four, which signifies an explanation of verse 8. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place, your faith towards God has gone forth so that we have nothing, no need to say anything. This is an amazing statement. The term sounded forth means to sound out or to echo. It was used in secular Greek to describe a, to describe a trumpet blast. It's in a perfect tense, which signifies a completed action in the past with results that continue into the present. For the word of the Lord, that's God's word, God's word has sounded forth from you. It's echoed forth. You see, they came to faith in Jesus Christ and they shared the truth of what they believed. They shared the truth of the gospel that Jesus died for their sins and rose from the dead. They shared the truth of God's word. It sounded forth. It sounded forth. The picture is of, of a clearly audible proclamation of the word of God. The Thessalonians became a sounding board in which God echoed forth the gospel. You see, if you truly come to faith in Jesus, you will be changed. You'll be changed. This is an example of it, by the way. The Thessalonians received the word, not as man's word, but the word of God, which does its work in them, and they spread it. Even severe persecution couldn't stop the proclamation of God's word in the lives of those who were truly changed by God. Are you excited about the truth of God's word? When you came to faith, did it, did it just come out of you? This is what Jesus did for me? He died on the cross? He rose from the dead? He saved me from my sins? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord? Clear, audible proclamation. They became examples to all the believers, and they're examples to us. If you're a believer here today, they're examples to us. Examples to us. What do you talk about? 
Is your life an encouraging example to others, other believers, an example to follow? Example to follow? Did the word of the Lord sound forth from you when you came to faith? The news of their genuine faith also spread too. Look at this, it's amazing. Verse 8, For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Here's what sounded forth here. The news of their faith. That your place, that your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. They trusted in Jesus. And that word went forth. The Thessalonians have trusted in Christ. They trusted in him. The word gone forth speaks of something going out. Faith towards God has gone out, not only in Macedonia and Canaan, but in every place. Everyone's heard about it. Everyone's heard about it. What an encouraging example. When you hear of someone that's come to faith, how encouraging is that? It's awesome. Someone who's truly come to faith in Christ. It's a genuine conversion. They're truly saved. Wow, that is wonderful. That is wonderful. And this faith is in Jesus Christ. It's in God. It's in Jesus Christ. John writes, But as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. John twenty thirty one. But these things have been written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Jesus shares this in John three fourteen and Moses And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes may have may in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. In Acts chapter 16, and they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved, you and your household. It's faith in Jesus Christ. Their faith towards God went out. And we're going to see in a minute, they had turned from idols, idols to serve the one and only true living God. They turned. Look at our passage. Verse 6, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation, joy of the Holy Spirit. And what's the result? You became example to believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And here's how. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith towards God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. It's true. It's a genuine salvation. They're not wondering, did they come to faith or not? I wonder. Hmm. No. And he says it, the response to the gospel is so solid in the sense, he says, we have no need to say anything. What are we doing? Say anything about you guys. It's already gone out. Genuine believers. Paul and Silas and Timothy uh, didn't need to give a report of what happened at Thessalonica. We don't need to give a report. The word was broadcast forth. Their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation from sins about his great love for us he died for us on the cross and rose from the dead and if you're a true believer one evidence is the reality that true faith in jesus will go forth from you people will know you've trusted in jesus this is an example to us it's an example these thessalonians became examples to all the believers 
As the word went forth, their faith in Jesus went forth. But not only those in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place. They were no, there were no so-called undercover Thessalonian Christians. True believers in Jesus. Changed lives known to everyone around them, bringing persecution from unbelievers, joy in the spirit, and an example to other believers. Tremendous reality. Isn't this the way the church should be? Yes, it should. Not just every Sunday the word going forth, but as the Lord ordains in our everyday interactions, as he opens the doors, people should see something different. Opportunities for the word to go forth. Encouraging us together in that and glorifying God. Now in verses 9 and 10, we have an account of their testimony which went forth and I don't have time to go through this today as I'd like to, so next week we'll go a little further because there's some incredible things here. But I want to just touch in what happened here and look at it, and we'll look at it in more depth next time. Notice the report here, verse 9. For they themselves, that's the believers out in every place, report, that's that's an announcement, about what kind of reception we had with you. (laughs) Paul, Silas, Timmy, we're hearing from other people how we were received by you when we shared the gospel. (laughs) That's amazing. And how you had turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. That's the report. You hear that from somebody, you go, man, I think they got saved. You hear that report, you go, man, I, I think they really did come to faith. Tremendous report. For they themselves report what kind of reception we had or what entrance we had with you. It says we don't have any need to say anything because the report's gone out. And what was that interest? We read it back in chapter 2, verse 13, that they received the word, uh, not as the word of men, but the word of God, which it really is. When Paul, Silas, and Timothy shared the word, these Thessalonians believed it as God's word and they responded with full conviction. Full conviction. And the word had come full circle back to Paul and his companions in Corinth. The word had sounded forth. They received the word, they believed the word, and their faith towards God went out. And here's the report, for they themselves report about what kind of reception we had with you, how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. Tremendous report. Idolatrous pagans heard the gospel, the good news concerning Jesus and their sin and judgment to come, that God will deliver you from, you trust in Jesus, that God bore their sins in his body on the cross, and they turned to God from idols in faith, your faith towards God. True repentance in the context of genuine faith. And folks, I get discouraged at times when I hear of Christian ministries that try to teach about the world and why the religions are false. In no way do we see the Apostle Paul and his companions giving a series of talks denouncing the idols of Thessalonica, Cabrius, Dionysus, Aphrodite, Zeus. The Apostle Paul proclaimed Christ. And they turned from idols. And turned to God from idols. And that's really important, the order here. They didn't turn from their idols, as I said there. They turned to God from their idols. From their idols. That's repentance. 
a turning to God from sin for salvation. They turn to God from their idols. Now, we don't have all these idols here, but we have idols. Me, myself, and I, my way, my life, my way. I don't want that upset. My friends, my way, my life, everything. That's my idols. Have you turned from God to God from your idols? You served yourself. Your life is about you every day. You get up in the morning, it's about me, 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 me. They turn to God from idols. Have you turned to God from idols? This is a true salvation. When one repents, they are not simply turning away from sin. Some people turn away from sin for a moment to try and, because it's got a lot of temporal consequences. People don't like it. Life gets bad. They turn away from sin, but they don't turn to Jesus from that sin. It's crucial. A lot of people are sorry for their sins and the consequences. No, they can shed a lot of tears like Esau. But if you don't truly turn to Christ for salvation, you've never truly turned from your sin. You'll be right back in it. Have you ever truly repented of your sin? Repentance is a change of mind. I now understand I'm a sinner. I understand what God says, and I'm turning to God because I need forgiveness from these sins. I need to be set free. I can't set myself free. I'm a prisoner. I see sin the way he sees it. And I turn to him. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We saw it back in Isaiah 55 last week. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. He's near non-believers. Isn't that amazing? With the gospel, the truth. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. Tremendous. Turn. You see, we don't have idols here, but we have idols. Me, myself, and I, my life. I want to do it my way. I want to live my life my way. That's the idol. Turn from yourself to Jesus. Turn from your will to him for salvation you see jesus continued to proclaim the truth that we need to repent john the baptist shared this in matthew chapter 3 verse 2 repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand turn because the kingdom of heaven is at hand in mark chapter 1 verse 14 we see that jesus came into galilee preaching the gospel of god saying this is the gospel he says here the time has been fulfilled the kingdom of god is at hand repent and believe the gospel Luke chapter 24, 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You need to change your mind about your sin. You don't think it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Sin brings death. Living life your own way is a big deal. The wages of sin is death. Change your mind. And then believe in Jesus Christ. Turn to him, recognizing you need to be delivered from the wrath to come. And he will save you. He'll save you. We see that the things, Acts chapter 3, the things that he has said were fulfilled and that Christ should suffer. Repent therefore and return that your sins may be wiped away. Acts 17, verse 30, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men 
that all everywhere should repent. He was talking, Paul was sharing this at the same time he was writing this stuff, I believe. Very close to it. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he's appointed, having furnished proof by raising him from the dead, that all men everywhere should repent. Turn to God from your sin. You can't be set free. You're a prisoner to it. Jesus will set you free. The Son sets you free. You're free indeed. And they turned from idols, idol worshipers, to God. That's a testimony. It wasn't just, I raised my hand, I kind of like this deal with Jesus, it kind of works out good for me, that'll work out good. And, and staying in my sin and my ways, they turned. That's the testimony. That's the testimony of real salvation. What's your testimony like? Now some of us turn from it, we know it, we, can't, we got saved, we realized we were all messed up, our sin, we're full of sin, needed salvation, but we get hardened again. We get hardened. Repent. Get right with the Lord. So then this work of faith in Christ led to a changed life. For they themselves report what kind of reception we have with you back in 1 Thessalonians 1.9. How you turn to God from idols. And then notice this, turn to do something. True believers do this. They turn to serve a living and true God. If you came to faith in Jesus Christ and your life didn't change, something's wrong. And God loves you and he doesn't want you to be self-deceived to your judgment. He wants you to be saved unto his glory. They turned to do something, to serve a living God. We'll look at this more in depth next time about serving. But uh, when your life is changed, you want to serve the Lord. You want to serve the Lord in your marriage. How do I serve the Lord in my marriage? I obey the Lord in relationship to my spouse. How do I serve the Lord in my work? I serve the Lord by working unto him heartily and not unto men. It's the Lord, whom Jesus, whom you serve. How do I serve the Lord at church? I serve by the strength and the gift that he has supplied in serving you with the gifts he's given. You know, this week I was traveling and there were so many people. And just, just look at people, just it's so sad to me to think of so many people don't know Christ. So empty. We have the privilege of a purpose to serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. When you came to faith, hopefully you came to faith and truly came to serve the Lord, to turn to serve the Lord. Josh, in Exodus, six times, let my people go that they may serve, thee, serve me. Turn to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 10. We've been saved to serve the Lord. You didn't get saved to make your everything happy again. You got saved to be forgiven of your sins, to be right with the Lord and have purpose and serve him on your way to glory. If you're not serving the Lord, I can tell you your life is empty and you're just searching from one thing to another and it's no good. Get happy here, not happy there. Happy here, not happy there. I just can't imagine not serving the Lord. I can't imagine it. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but that you fear the Lord your God, walk in his ways, and love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. You were serving sin. That's bad. Maybe you're serving sin right now. We fall back into it. Confess and be be freed. Serve the Lord. Later on. Deuteronomy 10, verse 20, You shall serve the Lord your God and cling to him, and you shall swear by his name. He is your praise. He is your God. 
who has done great, awesome things for you, which your eyes have seen. This is the verse that the Lord used to save me, Joshua 24. I knew the truth. I knew the truth. And I was living my own way. I knew it. I thought I was saved. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river. Hey, for me, that was just my buddies and partying. That was my gods, my own way. And he says here, and serve the Lord. And if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you'll serve, whether it's the God of your fathers whom you serve beyond the river or the God of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But for me and my house... As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I guarantee if you're not serving the Lord in all the areas of your life, your life's empty, you've got problems. So many Christians with problems. It's one thing to have difficulties in Christ, another thing to have problems because of your, your actions. But Jesus can fix that up, and he will. When Jesus was being tempted, he said, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, he will hold to one and despise that you cannot serve God and man. You've got to let go of who you're serving to serve the Lord. And some of us grab that stuff back. And if we're believers, the Lord has to spank us. And if we're not, we need to recognize what's truly going on. God is a gracious God. We'll look at this later some other time, but Malachi chapter 3, you'll know the righteous by the wicked, by those who serve the Lord and those who don't. So back in our passage, for they themselves report about what kind of reception we have with you and how you turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God. That's a real, real true salvation. And oh, it's exciting to hear. I'm excited to hear it right now. It's wonderful. So how about you? Who are you serving? Who are you serving? You see, some of you have gotten away from that and you're not doing well. Sin's gotten in the way. Maybe it's an attitude towards someone or the way something does something bothers you. So you don't come to Bible study. You don't serve anybody. When you come to Bible study, it's not for other people. It's for you. And if you don't like it, you leave, right? Whatever it might be. Same thing with church. But when you're saved and you're following the Lord, you want to obey the Lord. And we're to serve one another. We're to love one another. I can't do that if I'm not around you. How they turned to serve a living and true God. And to wait. Notice this. And we'll look at this in depth because we're out of time. Next time. And to wait for his son from heaven. Okay. I turn to serve the Lord. I want to obey him. It's not perfect. You'll see the Thessalonians had trouble and they need to be instructed just like all of us. But they turned to serve the Lord and also to wait for him. They knew right away that this wasn't it. This life isn't it. And that Jesus is coming again and he's going to finish the job. To wait for him. To wait for a son who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is the best testimony I've heard lately. This is a true, genuine testimony. Now, I'm not saying you have to go out and say, I, I, this is what happened in my life. No. But this is what happened in their life. Examine where you're at. 
Examine where you're at. These pagan Thessalonians were genuinely saved. And they were serving and focusing on Christ. Powerful example that went out to everyone and to us. And to us. What does your life broadcast? What do your words and actions reveal? Are you serving the Lord? Are you waiting for his son? Well, if you're not, there's two possibilities. First, you've never truly been changed. And the Lord wants you to know that so you would be changed. Acknowledge your sin. I've never truly repented of myself and living my own way, my own life. I've never truly repented of that. I've never truly turned to you, Jesus, to forgive me from that. Save me, Jesus. Or you've been hardened by your old ways, and we all it all happens to us. Our sin has dulled us down. We've forgotten what Christ has delivered us from, and our eyes have been pulled off of him. Jesus told the Ephesians uh, that they had left their first love. That's the Lord Jesus and his people. First evidence I see when people are on their way out of here is stop coming around. First, and I guaranteed over the 20 years I've been here, it's guaranteed they're gone. They start they're focused on themselves. We should be focused on one another. Focused on one another. What is your life broadcast? Today, if it's been broadcasting the wrong thing, it can broadcast the right thing. Turn to Jesus to serve him. Call upon him and he'll save you. And if you're saved, renew your mind with the right purpose for this life and experience joy in the midst of difficulties. Temporal for the glories to follow. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for this testimony. What a blessing it is to hear. And I thank you that you love us so much. You want us to see what true salvation looks like. And I pray for anyone here who who hasn't truly been saved. I don't know the hearts, Lord God. I can't see them, but you know the hearts. I pray for those that you're pulling on their hearts today, that they would recognize their sin and turn to you, Lord Jesus, to be saved. Lord, save me. And Lord, for those of us who are saved, thank you so much. I pray that we would not be hardened by sin, but that we would continue to serve you. We would see our marriages, our work, our lives, as opportunities, church, to serve you, Lord God, and to wait for you to come back to finish the job. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Praise in your precious name. Amen.